0: Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast, I'm Craig Kringle. People who follow their own odd obsessions are some of the greatest people in the world. I say that because I'm one of them. If you follow me on Tumblr or Twitter, then you know that my need to hunt down as many ancient holiday cards as I can knows no bounds, and I have to share the strangest ones immediately. I feel about those cards the way the luggage salesman from Joe vs. the Volcano feels. Have you thought much about luggage, Mr. Banks?
1: No, I never really have.
2: It's the central preoccupation of my life.
0: When I find people who share an obsession like that, I know I've got a kindred spirit. So I was thrilled when I stumbled onto a movie called Jingle Bell Rocks, with an exclamation point. It's a documentary about people who love Christmas music. Yes, multiple people who are obsessed with Christmas music and hunt it down all year long. They're folk who look for the best, most authentic versions of songs that we've grown to hate. Some are people who look for the strangest gems of irritating nonsense. Others just try to find the things that no one else has found. They all have their own reasons, but they all share that central preoccupation about something that most other people find odd. But the movie's also about Mitchell Kazin, the man who made the film, and him finding other people who share his obsession. And it's really a personal journey on where this kind of obsession comes from and what to do with it. But he's got great interviews in here with people who both made and collected this stuff for ages. Bob Durow of Schoolhouse Rocks fame, Run from Run-DMC who wrote Christmas and Hollis, John Waters who it turns out is a big Christmas music fan. Wayne Coyne, The Flaming Lips, and a ton of other fascinating people. It's a beautiful movie and it also just got put up on Amazon Prime. I've got links to other places you can find it at weirdchristmas.com. Now this is a very indie movie so please lord don't go pirating it. Turn off your Cody, don't go looking for torrents, spend a few bucks and help a good man out. And if you do you can be introduced to all these great folk who hunt down the best and the strangest holiday music and even put together annual mixes for people. After you hear Mitchell talk about the movie you're going to like him and the idea of Jingle Bell Rocks even more. So here he is. Jingle Bell Rocks is a documentary feature-length
1: 98 minutes that explores the underground subculture of alternative Christmas music. Record producers, lots of famous people are in the movie. Uh, Run DMC is in the film. Wayne Coyne from The Flaming Lips. Uh, soul legend Clarence Carter is in the movie. He's wonderful. He performs live. His great song, Backdoor Santa, which then Run DMC sampled for their wonderful hip hop Christmas song, Christmas in Hollis, which is probably one of the only more recognizable tunes in the mix. I wanted to have a couple that people recognize and talk about those because they're just. song with Miles Davis, called Blue Xmas, To Whom It May Concern, is the centerpiece song of the movie. So it's structured around the stories behind 12 songs, and on top of all that, you then get also a deeply personal sort of journey of my own that starts from when I was five years old and first connected to a Christmas song, which was a very obscure little ditty recorded by Nat King Cole called The Little Boy Who Santa Claus Forgot.
2: He's the little boy that Santa Claus forgot And goodness knows he didn't want a lot He sent a note to Santa for some soldiers and a drum It broke his little heart when he found Santa hadn't come In the street
1: That he, he Nat King Cole sings about this little boy who Santa decides he's not going to visit because he doesn't have a daddy, and the kid's left playing with his old, broken-down toys. And as a five-year-old kid, this, the notion that Santa would not visit you was terrifying. I was trying to comprehend all of this, while at the same time being deeply affected by this song as a five-year-old boy, to the point where I would ask my mother to play the record over and over again, hoping that the story would change of course it never did because it was a recording but i didn't understand that at the time it sounded because nat king cole sings um not just sings on the song but he has these little beautiful spoken word stanzas almost like he's reading poetry i felt a direct connection to this person who was inside this strange machine and i thought that he was talking directly to me about my own experience
2: you know christmas comes but once a year for every girl and boy the laughter and the joy they find in each brand new toy i'll tell you of a little boy who lives across the way this little fellow's christmas is just another day he's the little boy that santa claus forgot so
1: after that as a five-year-old i then became to a christmas song. So yeah, so I'm searching as a teen now for music that has that same visceral impact on me during the holidays and it wasn't happening and I became very disillusioned with with the fact that the radio was playing the same handful of of songs every single day, every single week, you know, every single year at christmas time the idea that there was other music out there didn't even cross my mind. I just thought, well, these are the Christmas songs that exist. Then there are no others. That's surely why they aren't playing anything else. It's just these handful of songs that have come to define the holiday for most people. And out of the blue, I had moved now. I'm age 20. I'm living in Vancouver. I'm, and I started buying lots of records and visiting thrift stores and going to flea markets and Salvation Army, Army shops and church basements, anywhere I could find interesting music dig for hours on the weekends I'd spend most of my time as I do now uh, doing that, especially around the holidays. And out of the blue, I came across a record called Jingle Bell Jazz, which was a compilation record released by Columbia in 1962. And it primarily features all the giants of the jazz age of the day. I'm looking at this record. It's got a really funky cover, a Santa sack filled with Christmas albums. And I flip it over, and I look at the track list, and they're all covers of classic chestnuts, every single song, except for the very last song on the B-side, Buried, at the very end. I saw the name Miles Davis, and I saw the name Bob Duro, or Doro, as they say in the States, and the song titled Blue Exmas To Whom It May Concern. And I knew who Miles was because I was a huge
2: The way you see it when you're feeling blue. Blue Xmas. When you're blue at Christmas time, you see right through all the waste, all the sham, all the haste, and plain old bad taste. Sidewalk Santa Clauses are much, much, much too thin. They're wearing fancy rented costumes, false beards, and big fat phony grins. And nearly everybody's standing around holding out their empty hand, our tin cup. Gimme, 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 fill my stocking up, all the way up, it's a time when
1: the... Really sharp, really biting, the lyrics are talking about the hypocrisy of the holiday and how, you know, everyone pretends to be so nice to each other and so benevolent and all this nonsense and then of course it's all a lot of fakery and it's a cynical, some people call it a cynical record, I would not say it's cynical, I would say it's pretty right on. Songs like this. I never heard this song before. I didn't know Miles Davis had ever dabbled in Christmas music, and in fact, the whole story behind how that song came to be is explored in my movie, and I'll let that speak for itself. But I was right. There were lots of songs like Blue Xmas, and over the last 30 years, I've been collecting them and amassing them and putting together my best of as a special audio Christmas card every year called Mitchell's Merry Mix. And there's other collectors featured in the film who who are sort of part of this small community. It's much larger than than anyone would likely realize or that I even knew before I started working on the film. I thought I was only one of those handful of weirdos doing this kind of thing. And for a long time, I was in the Christmas closet, afraid to tell people that I loved Christmas music. Because most folks, when you say that, when you utter those words, (laughs) they immediately have a knee-jerk reaction. They think you're talking about Bing Crosby and whoever else Andy Williams all the all the all the stuff that we all know and love and loathe and hear too, hear too much of from year to year or Mariah Carey or who whoever else you could name drop you know, there's lots of lots of awful christmas out there and we explore that in the movie too two things i want to make clear to your audience it's a much funnier warmer film than i'm probably giving it it's due it has a very deeply emotional story at its core. It's a feel good Christmas movie and it's a search really for the soul of Christmas music. And we talk about the good and the bad and, and, and everything in between. And then you're introduced to twelve really cool Christmas songs that you probably don't know exist and if if you dig them they will they will lead you and the other people featured in the film will lead you to a rabbit hole filled with all kinds of amazing strange, bizarre, uplifting
0: Christmas songs that uh, can help you through the holidays. One person who's also in it is John Waters. And one thing I really like in the movie is you would expect John Waters to hate Christmas or Christmas music, and you know, he'd, you'd expect him just to sort of dismiss the whole thing. But he gives a great yeah. little talk in there about how much he loves it, and then you listen to the mix that the the album that he put out, and yeah, there's stuff that's funny and a little obscene in there and stuff like that. But it still is very Christmassy. Like it still has something yeah. really authentic about it, which I love. Exactly. Yeah, yeah very much. So.
1: It's, a heart, it's a heartfelt collection, and it's you know it's it's songs that only John Waters could could put together, which is what's remarkable about that that album that he was responsible for. I mean, he put. Santa Claus is a black man, he's responsible for the popularity of that song outside of sort of Brooklyn and and, and, and Baltimore in the northeast of the United States, where that song got played to death in the seventies and primarily on black radio stations. out of movies and documentaries and he's also got a busy career of his own and when I was in the early stages of developing the movie and trying to secure people like on the level of John Waters, uh, he happened to be doing his annual Christmas show. Cameraman. And I, and so we had you know, the smallest camera we could find with us, and uh, we were going to, we thought, okay, great, you know, I'll have all my material ready. I had purchased the sole copy at the time that I owned of the Akeem Teddy Van production company's Santa Claus is a Black Man record, which I paid probably over $150 for on eBay. My the, the connecting sort of tissue between me and John and I knew he didn't own a copy of his own because he talked about it in interviews he just had a single of the song he didn't have the whole record I had searched for years for it and so I finally found a copy I paid handsomely for it I had that with me I had what's called a one sheet of the movie which is just last minute, a few days before, ticket sales weren't going so well for the Vancouver show, so it was cancelled. And I was devastated. I couldn't believe it. But at some point, either a few weeks after the Vancouver show that was cancelled, or maybe possibly the whole, the following year, we were doing a development shoot in the early stages of raising money for the movie. We were, we were flying to New York and I looked at the schedule and John Waters was doing a show at B.B. King's nightclub in Manhattan. And so I bought the same three VIP tickets for that show. And so I went to the B.B. King show. I still had all my goodies for, for John. And it was not my intention to give him the Christmas album. But before I could even, I got to the, there was a big lineup. It's after the show. It was before the show. It was after the show. And then it was time to meet him, and I'm very nervous. My cameraman's behind me, and they had their own camera guys to take the official pictures with John. And they weren't so keen on seeing our camera, but they just thought it was a still camera. Meanwhile, my camera guy was rolling the whole time. So before I could even, I get to the front of the lineup, and this is really funny because it was mortifying to me. After having gone through all the effort and time to search down that record, before I even said hello or shook John's hand, he snatched the album out of my out of my... Fingers. He was so excited to see it, and he was. He, everyone was giving him gifts. You see, like people were coming up prior to me with Christmas cards and all kinds of stuff. So there's this huge stack of Christmas ephemera and gifts that had been given to him. So he just assumed that this record was something I was also going to give to him, and he recognized <laughs> the cover immediately. And his eyes sort of bugged out, and he freaked out, and he grabbed it out of my hands. Thank you, and he passed it to his assistant right away. So within like three seconds. It went from my clutches into his, into the pile. And I'm standing there going, Oh my God, I just lost the Christmas album that I've searched for for five years, and I'll probably never find another copy. And at the same time, I'm thinking, Okay, stay cool, stay calm, just be gracious, talk about your movie. You only have a few seconds now, because it was really rushed. It was really pre- a lot of pressure. So I briefly kind of pitched the 30 second version of the movie. I said, I'm hoping and here's a description of the film so I handed him the one sheet and he he blurted something out along the lines of oh yeah I'm making a movie like that or someone else is making a movie like that and I was like inside my head I'm going and then he's like okay take a picture bye see ya and I leave there so dejected (laughs) I was like let's get out of here because he stole my album and he just told me somehow that someone else is either making already a movie like mine, that John's already involved in, so there's no way he's going to say yes. He didn't give me a personal business card, or and so I just left so dejected, so depressed, so upset. I remember walking, wandered around Times Square trying to find somewhere to go have a drink, and I wanted just to drown my sorrows and get home and regroup because I thought I just blew it. Not only did I blow it, and John's never going to talk to me again, but he's got my album.
0: <laughs>
1: and I was really, really choked. So that was around the 20th of December. And Christmas came and went, and now it's the new year. And I I don't know about you, but I get serious, serious blues after the Christmas holiday and New Year's is over. And this was particularly bad because I just thought, oh, what am I going to do? I really want John in the movie. And about three weeks into January, out of the blue, I get an email from John Waters' assistant saying, hello, Mitchell. I'm... John Waters' assistant. Um, we just have your your movie thing here, and uh, John wanted me to get in touch with you because you asked if he would agree to an interview for your film, and and he really appreciated the record, and he loved your merry mix. He played it at his Christmas party, and and he really would like he'd like to say yes to an interview. So please call call me at this number, and we'll make arrangements for a time and place and all that stuff. Happy New Year! And then she signed off. And I was just like. Oh, I still remember that day, man. I was just on cloud nine. It was the most incredible thing. And I totally surprised me.
0: One of my favorite parts of the movie is actually that montage in the middle of all the collectors sort of showing off their favorite pieces. and, um, and that,
1: Mine, too. Yeah. I, love, I love that scene. Yeah. It, 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 I wasn't sure if it was going to work, to be honest, but it did. And I'm, people really, they really, uh, all those guys, and I wish I could have found a girl, a female, Collector, a woman to be in that in that collage, but I couldn't. I've now since met a few, but I searched high and low, and I could not find a single, except for a woman in Sweden who I'm still in touch with. She was the only female Christmas or music collector that I came to know, and she tried her best to get us. See, what happened was by the point that I thought of the idea for the collage, um, we were well into editing the movie, and we'd spent our production money and we could no longer travel anywhere we were tapped Mm -hmm. and so i said to my producers i said here's what i want to do i I really need i don't want to you know we've only got you know we've got the big shots we've got andy surzan we've got bill adler we've got me i'm not a big shot but i'm i'm you know and there were a few other sort of more legendary collectors like eddie g who was involved and then decided not to be but um i thought you know show the world i want to show people who are watching the the movie should embrace and show more of the other collectors who i know and trade with and who are who are wonderful and have great collections of
0: their own part of it is so cool though because the first part of the movie you're talking to people one-on-one and everyone sort of has their singular obsession and their singular reason for doing it then you see that part and it's like this time when you realize oh there is like this community of people out here um and it's, right. It's such a it it really brings everything together really well. I thought. Oh, yeah. uh,
1: thanks so much. I'm, I'm I'm pleased to hear your your thoughtful take on that section. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in yeah. the in the new, I really I'm mean, going have million millions of regrets and there's all kinds of things I wish I could fix or change. Of course, but the biggest error I made and and I'm gonna correct this with the Blu-ray next year is I cut out. There's a four-minute sequence with Dr. Demento where we meet him and he takes us into his his collection. And he's like a you know a, a much more significant character in that version of the movie. They asked me as we were trying to we were trying to get the film to 90 minutes, and they said they you know they were they were like adamant that now we didn't really need Alvez and we definitely didn't need Dr. Demento. And I was steadfastly against those two decisions and i fought like mad but you have to always choose your battles and so i said well of the two of them who could i live with losing the most and i said i, I just elvez was one of my earliest supporters he was really sweet and that's never a reason to keep someone in your movie i thought i just can't you know elvez is too important uh, what he's doing with the music in terms of the sort of revisionist approach to to christmas Chestnuts is really interesting, and he just fit and and belonged in the film. So I said, well, I can keep Dr. Demento in the little sequence with the collectors. He can say a few really pithy things and be funny, but I could take him out. And so we took out a four minute sequence. So uh, that'll be a version, that version, which is 98 minutes. We're gonna release that in a limited edition special sort of gatefold 10 inch LP format. It'll be a DVD Blu-ray but it'll be in, in a sort of really cool 10 inch gatefold LP.
0: That's great. With
1: full graphics and, and uh might even be two discs depending on how much stuff, depending on
0: the cost. Are there any mixes in particular, people you kind of look for every year who come up with original things that surprise you?
1: I like this more. I mean I'm always surprised by what Andy Serzan manages to is a new Off in the Christmas Cosmos is the name of his compilation Um, it's remarkable there's at least 50% of the songs I've never ever heard before and did not know existed and didn't exist until he brought them to his mix like that's what I love about Andy is his focus is on sometimes the song isn't amazing but it's unique in that it's an interesting He managed to find it somewhere at some tiny little record shop in the, in the South or wherever he, he happens to be. So I always look forward to his. I look forward to Bill Adler's, of course. Bill's more about, he's more of a soul, R&B, and heavily into Latin stuff, which I'm not a huge fan of Latin music, but I do dig some, I'm forgetting the name of the collector, but there's someone else, like I'm, my, within Christmas music, believe it or not, I have a further obsession, which is Hawaiian Christmas music. And that's not an easy thing to find much of. And there's one other person that I met a couple years ago who also collects Hawaiian stuff. So I look forward to his mix every year. I,
0: I hate to ask for favorites, but I'm still kind of curious of all the more unusual things that you've found. What pieces stand out Like throughout the, throughout the history of doing this? Are there one or two oh songs God. that are unusual, that most people won't know about, but that you keep coming back to? Well...
1: That is a very difficult question to answer because there's just so many great ones. But there's two that come to mind that that I wanted A&M Records and the producer, whose name is Tommy La Puma. we did a great interview with him and the problem was he produced that record back in the day, earlier days, and I think they still do this now, but it's done differently. A producer would ask, there, there were artists who just recorded demos only. They didn't have recording careers, they weren't famous, they weren't wanting to be pop stars. They just had good voices and they were primarily writers. And. So Margot was more a writer than a performer, but she had a great voice. So she wrote this song, I Don't Intend to Spend Christmas Without You, which has some great hooks. And so Tommy Puma was looking for a new Christmas song for um, Claudine Langer, who was a big, sexy chanteuse of the mid to late 60s. She's not a singer, she's more of a, just a personality. She was in a few movies. He was looking for a song that she could record, that he could release as a single, on his label. He was at the time the head of A&M Records. And Tommy confided in me and he said this on tape, we could have used this. He said that it was just a butchered series of takes cut together because Claudine couldn't, couldn't turn a phrase, she couldn't sing very well. And they had to basically create the song in the edit room. <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't carry more than one verse or and she couldn't sing the chorus. It's not an easy song to sing, I guess. Uh, it's pretty complicated in its structure. Me, despite the fact that he knew in his heart, and he said it to me on camera, that Margot's version blows Claudine's out of the way, there was a commercial imperative for Claudine to have a Christmas record, and for A&M Records to support that, and to try and milk it for all it was worth, as a Christmas single. I knew of the song from, I actually forget how I came to know about it, but I've known about it for 20 years. It's one of the best unknown Christmas songs i There's only one song in the movie that I wanted that there was an issue with rights, and that's a cover of Merry Christmas Baby. There's a wonderful, really, really great instrumental soulful 60s album called, um, I think it's just called Merry Christmas, but it's by the Soulful Strings. A groovy funky harpist on the record and she was a key member of the band and that, her name is Dorothy Ashby and she's very well known and very collected and highly sought after. Her records are not easy to find and they're really expensive. Yeah so those are two examples. The third example I would say the record that I
0: on Christmas after being up all year. Broke my hip, cocked a grip, and my good wife disappeared. I hit the floor like an apple core when Doc took me off of the beer. It's hard to be down on Christmas after being up all year. After being up all year, I can't find any cheer. It's hard to be down on
1: Christmas after being up all year. Yeah, here it's I am done. A hysterical, really funny, upbeat country ditty about a, everything that goes wrong for this guy on Christmas Eve. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hysterical. It's one of my favorites. And uh, really, really fun song.
0: So where else is it playing this year? Just just out of curiosity, where where else or actually to plug it, where else is it playing this year? It's
1: playing uh, it's playing in Detroit at Detroit Cinema. Starting on the twenty second of December. And then it's also playing one night only in Long Beach, California at Art Theater Long Beach, it's called. Um, That's it so far in terms of other places it will be. Um, We just got picked up by Amazon Prime, which I'm very excited about. Oh, that's great. So people can watch it there. I think it'll be great. And uh, the movie's also going to have a new push back on iTunes this Christmas, so. Find it there, and I will be posting about all this on the Jingle Bell Rocks Facebook page, which everyone should check out. You can go to Facebook.com, Jingle Bell Rocks doc,
0: all one word. Maybe in your podcast, if you do you have a Twitter account. Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah. Of course, you do. You're, I, I follow you all the time. Yeah, we're... we can post. <laughs> Mitchell, thank you so much for talking to me and I'm going to put links to all the information about where you can see the movie this year and on the website and then we'll be um, hopefully that'll get you a lot more traffic so thank you very much for talking to me
1: It's been my absolute pleasure thank you for your support, I'm really grateful and I hope that uh, people enjoy the movie when they see it and they'll take a chance and, and watch it this Christmas season you know it's a really good time to watch it between Christmas and New Year's in fact when you're looking for something to do when the whole family is still together and you can't find something to watch or go see watch my movie (laughs) good deal thank you and uh merry christmas to you and to you
0: i've got links on weirdchristmas.com so you can watch the film If you have Amazon Prime, again, it's free to watch, but you can also buy it on iTunes and watch a stream at the film's distributor, again, with links on my site. And again, please don't pirate the thing. This is a very, very independent project that Mitchell pursued for years, and I want to give it all the support it can get. By the way, the opening music is from the Superphonics. I've got links to their site and album up there, too. Thanks again for listening. You can always get in touch with me at weirdxmas at gmail.com. Follow on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Kind of, although really with Instagram I don't post very much. Head over to weirdchristmas.com for links to everything from vintage cards to podcasts to write-ups about odd Christmas trends. And please subscribe or leave me a review on iTunes or wherever you hear the podcast. That kind of thing really helps and just gives me happy feelings in special places. Until next time, here's hoping Santa doesn't stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack.